Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. I'm Kim Nayoni, and this is Mentorship Matters, a podcast that examines the current and future landscape of fundraising leaders and the power of inclusive mentorship in advancement. Today, I'm I'm gladly joined by my friend and longtime colleague, Jennifer Mora, Senior Director of Major Gifts for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging and Community Initiatives at the University of San Francisco in beautiful San Francisco, California. How are we doing today? I'm doing great, Kim. It's good to talk to you. Absolutely. Uh, when I was thinking about this subject matter, you know, uh, you and I have had many, uh, you know, off the record conversations, and I could only think of you as the person that I want to chat with and uh, talk about a subject matter for the day, which is uh, mentorship through the lens of DEIB. And so, you know, when I think about the whole idea of mentoring people, you know, uh, it's it's interesting because I look at it as being nuanced when it comes to addressing the needs of uh, underrepresented uh, students, uh, underrepresented populations. Uh, you know, I recall from a student perspective that a lot of our experience, our lived experiences were very different from uh, mainstream, uh, you know, predominant cultures. And so it was very difficult for us to find uh, somebody who you can talk to that can help you navigate that. And so over the years, it's been really neat to see institutions add, you know, DEIB positions and, and, and uh, units that help students who are underrepresented navigate that environment. And so talk to me a little bit about the work that, that your area does, uh, in, you know, in, in, in fostering, uh, mentorship opportunities for uh, uh, for the uh, underrepresented populations? Uh, this is a great question. Um, and I think specifically as it relates to me, I look at mentorship as a responsibility on my part. So I do my best to mentor up and coming professionals as well as students. So currently in my advancement shop, um, we have interns. Um, sometimes we call them student workers. It just depends, the vernacular depends on the institution. And so what we do is we bring students in um, either through work work study or part-time jobs to help them pay for their expenses at college. And that's an opportunity to begin to expose them to higher education advancement. In my former institution, we partnered and did the case internship program. So definitely, you know, have experience with how we're bringing students along with diversifying the pipeline and advancement. So that's really interesting because one of the things that I've been championing for is to be intentional about creating internship programs that specifically focuses on DEIB, specifically focuses on recruiting students who identify as such, and so that 
we begin to introduce them to advancement, let them feel what this is all about and, you know, experience the different units. And then at the end of that, they can get hired as development officers entry level. Because I think uh, that's where the gap is. I mean, if you look at all the mm. different institutions, everybody has an internship. I mean, so everybody has these programs where you come and spend time at this unit, that unit. But at the end of it, first of all, you're not getting paid. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, you're not guaranteed a job. And so uh, for me, if we're going to make a difference, if we're really going to move the needle and have a diverse workforce within advancement, we got to be intentional. What are your yeah. thoughts about that? Yes, I 100% agree with you that intentionality is pivotal, not only intentionality, but we have to follow that up with action, Yes. right? So it's one thing to have a commitment of, yes, I want to help build the pipeline, but how are we going to build that pipeline? And mm -hmm. what are we going to do to build that pipeline? And so for me, um, I personally mentor up and coming professionals of color to help guide them um, through their journey. And understanding, you talked about it at the beginning, that as people of color, we have a different lived experience. And I don't want to make assumptions, but it, it's fair to say that um, many people of color in this field are likely to be first-generation professionals, which means they lack the social capital that many of their white counterparts had because of their family or their built-in networks. So I can share an example of where I mentored um, an up-and-coming professional. Um, she was interviewing for a job at an institution. And you know, we talked about the interview, we talked about the questions. And at the end of the process, she asked me, should I send my thank you note after work on a Friday or shall I wait till Sunday evening? And my response to her was, no, you send that thank you note immediately and you don't wait. And that's an example of her not knowing. Yeah. That's I mean, simple. It, 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 you know, it, it is. I mean, I look at, I look at myself uh, when I got started in my career, I was the first person, you know, uh, to attend the university in the United States. Uh, and I was the first, you know, so as an immigrant, and then when I launched this career, I had no idea what I was doing. It just happened by accident. I mean, you know, Jeff Rohde gave me my first uh, job at the hospital of business. And that, that, that's the guy who got me started. And so if I had had a mentor early on, it would have helped me to navigate some of the challenges that I faced because uh, I, I did face some challenges. I mean, trying to advance, uh, a lot of us get that, oh, well, you don't have enough experience to be an associate director. Then you ask, well, what kind of experience do you want me to have, right? Uh, what can I do? I, I would like to learn, T teach me something, give me opportunities to grow. Well, if you just do your job well, you will get that. And so, you know, having somebody as a mentor would have really helped me navigate that early on and uh, often uh, times I say uh, it would have helped me make good decisions in terms of career trajectory. You know, maybe you should stay here longer. Maybe you should do those kind of things. It wasn't until 
job number two, when I I uh, identified and connected with Dexter Bailey, who I used to work with at Cal Athletics, to be my mentor. And he's sort of been, over the years, uh, he's, he's been one of the people that I rely on to help me uh, shape my career and advise my career. And so it's, you know, it, I, I, I hear you in that, you know, we have, we have a different experience and it is important that, um, you know, organizations that we're part of really invest on, uh, on us and invest on recruiting talented students to build that pipeline. Because to me, uh, reading a recent uh, McKinsey and Company uh, uh, survey, on uh, high education DEI efforts and uh, where we are, I was I was shocked to see it's going to take a minimum of 500 years for institutions of higher learning to re reflect the American society that we serve. That's just insane. It's because since uh, George Floyd, we've only moved two percent. Mm. We've only made it one to two percent, uh, you know, uh, bump in the percentage of faculty of color, uh, staffing, and so on. So what's the best way to address that to me other than growing your own? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 it is something that uh, I, you know, it's, it's controversial, of course, because you're saying, well, uh, you have to focus on a certain group of people and that can be construed as mm -hmm. discriminatory, but I'll argue not, not really because we understand what the problem is, then why are we not, you know, doing something about it, you know? So it's, it, it, it is something that, uh, you know, I keenly try to pursue and try to ensure that I work with our team, uh, you know, uh, in talent management and whatnot to advise them on, you know, on, 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 on establishing such programs. And, uh, you know, we're making progress, but it's, uh, um, it's so, so a couple of things here as leaders, uh, in advancement, uh, think about developing DIB focused, um, mentorship programs. What are some of the, your suggestions of things that should avoid, uh, when, 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 when uh, launching such efforts? So you're thinking about you. So you're asking if we're thinking about DEIB focused mentorship programs, mm -hmm. you know, what do advancement leaders yeah. want to avoid? Yes. So I, I want to like turn that upside down a little and say, you know, first, I think advancement leaders need to understand how DEIB focused mentorship programs are different from traditional mentorship programs. So I think it's you know critical for them to develop cultural competence, um, them being leaders, about the experience of someone who has walked a different path. And we talked about that a little earlier, right? I am a first generation college student. I'm a first generation professional. I did not have the support of my family because it was not their lived experience. I did not have a built-in um, network. So for me, having a mentor who could understand my social location, I think would have been very helpful for me personally. Um, you know, another thing that should be avoided is 
don't make assumptions about what worked for you is going to work for others. Right. And again, um, it may not be the case always, but it's just fair to say that underrepresented minority um, folks may be first generation professionals like I was. Um, mm -hmm. I lacked the social capital, right? That many oh, yeah. of my, my white counterparts acquired from their family and built in networks. I mean, I literally was taken into the office and educated like you don't wear this type of clothing to an office. And this was in the, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s in the financial district. How would I know? I grew exactly. up in the mission. Preci precisely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I can tell you uh, for, from an immigrant perspective, you know, having come here and no family. I mean, I same thing. Uh, friends, when I was in college, were getting internships easily because dad knows some so-and-so. So I wasn't. So my first job, you, you know, I, I just I just worked and worked and worked. Uh, I just happened to be in, in a collegiate athletics and that kind of helped me sort of open the door. And through that, I met somebody that believed in me and that happened. But I allowed the professionalism. I had to be mentored because that was, you know, I did not have anybody here that could help me understand navigating the workplace, American and American workplace, which is different from other places. No, that's a that's a really good point that you make, and and uh, so as you think about um, moving this farther, all research in higher education points to the fact that the top leadership positions of authority within institutions lack diverse faces. We know that. <laughs> Furthermore, research shows many underrepresented minorities ex exit higher education advancement because they don't feel a sense of belonging in the organization they're part of. Thinking about that, can you share five key strategies that you would recommend for advancing officers to implement that will ensure there's a pathway to leadership roles for underrepresented minorities and create an environment where individuals from diverse backgrounds belong and thrive? Great what are question. Your thoughts? That is a great question. It's a very complex question. And I just want to start by saying, you know, as a leader in advancement, I have a responsibility to ask myself if I'm committed to diversifying the field of fundraising. And then I need to ask myself, what am I going to do to change it? And how am I going to be an ally for underrepresented minorities? Even as a woman of color, I need to ask mm -hmm. myself. So I would offer that same advice to any leader. Like, what is your per personal commitment? Because it really it is the first step towards making meaningful change and a difference um, for underrepresented minorities in the field. So that's first, right? Like, what, mm -hmm. what is your commitment? Um, second, I think it's important for advancement offices to evaluate their staff numbers, right? What is the percentage of staff who are underrepresented minority? What roles do they hold, right? Not enough that they're all gift processors or administrative support, mm -hmm. but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about pathways to a seat at the senior management table. Amen. Um, <laughs> is your advancement office being inclusive to the staff already there, right? Oh, yes. Let's start with oh, yeah. in-house, right? Um, I think I'd also consider 
evaluating how your advancement office is mirroring your student body and alumni population, right? If you're an Bingo. HSI, is your advancement office 25%, which is the HSI designation, according to the federal government. Um, and then with that information, I think senior le leadership has the opportunity to assess the office's level of commitment to ensuring a pathway to leadership roles for underrepresented minority staff. And it's not just a goal on paper or a Google Doc for that matter, but it's actually a proactive commitment that is supported with action and accountability. Got to be proactive. There's got to be some accountability and, and you know measurable outcomes. Yes. We're so gonna let have... me give. You... Uh huh. Go I was gonna ahead. say, let me give you some strategies, right? Yes. Some strategies. That that was just like you have to do your homework first. Amen. Got to do the homework. Right? Um. So first, find those paths of career growth, career growth within the organization, right? Mm -hmm. And at what level are you going to start preparing specifically? Um underrepresented minority staff for leadership roles, right? Is it a pathway from director of development to executive right. director? Is right. it major gift officer to senior director? So you right. got to identify and document the, you know, the clear milestones and metrics to be achieved for the promotion. Two, communicate those pathways. Um, it is not inclusion if only select staff are privy to this information, right? Don't just like tell Bingo. these folks. It cannot be, you know, third, um, support individual career growth with intentional professional development and coaching opportunities. Like, let's go beyond online webinars and traditional conferences. Let's make a financial commitment. Can we offer executive coaching, right? Can mm -hmm. we consider things like the Case Academy or mm -hmm. a CFRE certification, right? Mm -hmm. If this is what you want from staff of color, to have a, a seat at the, the table, pay for it. Oh, you are absolutely <laughs> right. I mean, there's nothing that drives me bonkers than the countless webinars to bring somebody to come and talk about, here's how we can be better neighbors at work. Here's a strategy one, two, three, to be diverse and blah, blah, blah. But then at the end of the day, we've been listening to that stuff for years and nothing is moving. And all I see is, oh, yeah, we got a bunch of folks in uh, gift process thing, a bunch of folks in assistant director roles, associate director roles, and they all leave. And yes. say, well, why are they leaving? Well, they don't have a path. Hello? They're not, you're not preparing them. So there's nothing in their toolkit that says, oh, yeah, they're ready for prime time. And right so, so you're right on. I mean, I, I, I see that all the time. I say, okay, you got to invest in somebody. I had, I had a supervisor one time who was frankly not a very good supervisor, but the one thing that he did for some of us in leadership that he knew had aspirations for bigger, uh, you know, positions was to hire us an executive coach that he paid for. And I really, really appreciated that. That along with, uh, you know, if you're working with the right kind of talent search firm, they coach you on how to, you know, do presentations. People don't know that, well, if you're going to go for a leadership role, you're going to have to uh, present. You have to do public presentations mm -hmm. to faculty, mm -hmm. academic leaders, to the division that you're going to be part of. And they're going to give you a random topic and you got to be able to speak on it and you got to be confident 
And then you got to do a lot of one-on-one with leaderships. What's your brand? How are you going to, mm-hmm. how are you going to build that? How do you develop a brand? Things like that. You know, that's what an organization, to your point, that's invested in this. That's how they do it. And I want to come back because I, I just have two more that I, I want to share. Yes. Um, to your point, when you said like junior staff, support staff, they're leaving, right? They're leaving and they're not continuing with the organization. All that consistent customer support or that institutional knowledge is lost. So require your current leadership to um, complete racial equity training, right? Like the current staff in those seats need to do that training and they need to have an understanding and awareness of why more underrepresented minorities at the table is critical to the organization's success, right? Don't look and say, why is this person leading? Actually, can we look at our unconscious bias and check ourselves and say, what mm-hmm. are we doing that mm-hmm. is contributing to this mass exodus? Because that's what it is. It's a mass exodus. Oh, yeah. Um, I were I I I was uh you know one organization that I'm very familiar with you know from my past that will remain nameless. Um I saw that. I remember we had a young African American lady and uh, we had a uh young Hispanic woman and very talented. I mean, they got the it, you know, the intangibles that you can't teach somebody. They walk in, they got they got a certain presence about them that anybody wants to talk to them and anybody wants to seem successful, but we lost them. And it wasn't because pay, pay was okay. They could have been paid more, but it had more to do with, I don't feel like I belong here. I'm not included in things. Okay. I have hit the wall. I feel that, and I see that I cannot be successful because I'm not in a position where I can close big gifts that are, you know, sort of prerequisite in many places to move up. And I'm not doing other projects that can make me well-rounded. I want to be a manager, but hello, I'm not giving anybody to marriage and that's my passion. So somebody else comes and says, well, hello, we got a place just for you. Come Mm -hmm. on to our organization. And then they Mm -hmm. sit down and say, well, I don't understand. We have all these talent management programs. We do this, we do that, we do team building. Mm-hmm. The same by you're doing team building from your perspective. You know, the mm-hmm. things that you're doing work for y'all, but they don't work for them. Yes. So you gotta, you, you just gotta think different. Yes, most yes. definitely. Absolutely. So please, you got you got you got another point there that I oh my I, last I, one. Yeah. So my last yes. one. So after we've done all of this, tall order. It, it really is a tall order. Um Let's check in with staff and evaluate tactics and results, right? Let's be curious about their experience with career growth and professional opportunities. Again, not enough to put it on a piece of paper, shelf it, say this is what we have, and then like scratch your head and say, why are people leaving? Like, have you asked them? (laughs) Like during the process, is this working for you? are you getting what you need? How can I create more space for you? There seems to be sometimes a lack of curiosity when it comes to leadership about particularly underrepresented minorities and their experience within the organization. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I'll, I'll say uh, I'm familiar with very few organizations that do exit interviews 
and specifically exit interviews for their underrepresented uh, team members. I remember in one organization, we were doing a core values exercise where we were going to talk about our experiences and core values that uh, defined us. And I recall going to, so they divide us in groups. And I had to go to the talent management director and said, you know, have you noticed the fact that you are ignoring DEIB in this Ooh. conversation? We have two black folks in the organization. We got two Asian ladies and we got, you know, one uh, uh, East Indian or origin uh, team member. That's it. It's like, so there's like six of us in a staff of 270 and you're lumping us with everybody else where our experience is different. Have you ever thought, have you ever talked to those? She's like, you know what? You're right. They see the organization from a very different lens. So we'll form a working group with those individuals, not to segregate them, but we want them to be very truthful, brutally honest about how they feel about our current culture and the sense of belonging within our organization. And we want them to be frank. And that that's another thing I'll add to your, your brilliant statement there. It's people have to be secure in the knowledge that it's not just when it comes time to exit interview, I can say whatever. It's during the check-ins to talk about while I'm here, I can honestly tell you that, you know what, this environment stinks. I, I don't feel like people support me. I am constantly having to walk on eggshells because so-and-so, you know, in this department uh, just is not comfortable with me. Now, that's not meant to indict the other folks or the other colleagues, but it's a point of awareness, right? It's a point of awareness that you're making to the leader of the organization so that they get the pulse and know how to address it. So then that creates that that uh, environment, this safe space where the underrepresented team members feel comfortable to share their true experience, which is going to help you avoid people jumping ship. I mean, what do you think about that? I think what I was thinking about when you said that is you talked about um, what comes to mind for me, you talked about belonging earlier, right? Mm -hmm. So you talked about the importance of, of a sense of belonging and, and, and now we're talking about creating space to have these conversations and to be heard. So what comes next to me is, is it safe for folks to say what's on their mind? Like full circle back mm -hmm. to the like inclusion and the cultural competency. What are you doing as a leader to create space, safe space for someone who's likely, again, a first generational professional and has not necessarily had to have these conversations in their lived experience. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't have the training. So oh, yeah. I think about the work really is with the person in, in positional power, mm -hmm. right? It's not enough to say, do this, do that, and you'll get somewhere. Like it is a, a dialogue 
that requires leaders to meet individuals where they are. And sometimes that's more than halfway. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, amen. I mean, I, I believe in everything they just said there. I think that's the, the important, the key point to stress in this work of uh, mentorship through the lens of DEIB. It's leaders sometimes that, you know, most of the time that need that mentorship to understand that they need a, a, a culture that creates a safe space for team members to feel like they can truly express themselves. And I can tell you, in my experience, uh, you know, working with different organizations and talking to f- folks around the country, that we still have ways to go. I mean, mm-hmm. we many places have established, uh, you know, DEIB positions in advancement, and they've built those teams, and they're they're doing training programs, webinars, whatever. But to me, that's that's okay, but it's not enough. The next the the, the next part of it is as you're bringing people to the organization. Are they free to give you feedback uh, without retaliation? Are they free to give you feedback without somebody say, oh, yeah, they need to fall in line. Otherwise, you know, they're not going to have a good tenure here. And I've I've heard of instances around the industry where, you know, especially younger uh, uh, minoritized folks come in. They're, they're, they're growing up in an area where they share their peace and how they feel and uh, they express themselves. And so they come to an organization and they express how they don't think this family thing that you guys talk about is really real. So you guys got to do something different. And again, like, mm, sorry, that's not how it works. If you want to be here, you need to do X. If you don't fall in line, then, um, you know, you're out. And so then they end up getting frustrated and leave, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and that's not right. So the next level of yes, we have a DIB program, you know, we do workshops, we do unconscious bias talks, we do exercises, we you go to their famous uh go through a web tutorial and then do your 10 questions. Now you're certified. That is a great effort, first step effort. But the next step is the cultural environment that you just mm-hmm. talked about. Absolutely. It's got to go there. And when it goes there, you start seeing things a little different. You know, you start seeing things in a way that is, uh, uh, you know, is beneficial to your organization. I mean, I'm gonna, you know, publicly give a shout out to my friends at Penn State Advancement because I was at the Case uh, Diverse Philanthropy and Leadership Conference uh, this past past year, early in the year, and they brought a team of 20 people plus. Incredible. Okay. Not everyone was a minority. Okay. It was black, white, Asian, whoever. And at the conference, they paid for them to go through a specific training that Case had put together for their program. Think about that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly, that is going, and it's not even, I was going to say it's going above and beyond. It's not going above and beyond. It's what it should be. Absolutely. And they were in, and, and they were one ones one of the first ones uh, in the country to have a director of DEIB embedded in the division of advancement. So think about that. And and DEIB became one of their core values as an organization. 
in everything that they did. And so I saw that and I emailed my friend who uh, who is, uh, uh, you know, one, one of the senior uh, associate vice presidents. I say, man, you know, I have major respect for an institution that is predominantly white that embraced this cause. And they're not just talking to talk and do webinars. They are putting their money where their mouth is. They're training their staff to be champions of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I mean, that to me is, yeah, like I said, it's the right thing to do, but still they're, they're doing it. More and more people need to do it. More and more institutions need to do it. And we'll be better for it. Absolutely better for it. So as we uh, wind down here, uh, I, I just want, I, I, want, I wonder if you have some suggestions in terms of uh, when look at the, at the, uh, the now I'll talk about university advancement landscape. Um, there are many key partners and stakeholders, right? That, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one can, can reach out to and work with to uh, help develop sound DEIB programs and, uh, you know, that to, to attract talent and groom talent. So if you were to recommend key partners from campus, who would those be? That I, Mr. Vice President of, of Advancement, I'm looking to really live by these uh, DEIB core values and to ensure that my team is reflective of my students and that we are the best of the best when it comes to be uh, a DEIB-centered uh, organization. Who do I talk to on campus? Who do I work with? Great question. And I do want to expand that. I think it's important to look outside of campus, but I'll start with campus. So mm-hmm. one, um, let's start with our HR department, right? Like what resources are available um, to actually build out this program? Do we have staff support? Do we have financial resources? What's already in place? So most institutions are bureaucratic. So let's just start with like the house of HR. Like, what can we do? Um, and the next, you know, does your institution have a DEI focused division or office? Mm-hmm. Right. So currently at the University of San Francisco, we have an office called Anti-Racism, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion called A Day. So I would go to my A Day office and talk to my vice provost and tell me what are some of the best practices. You know, as an academic, I wanna know what's, what is happening on the landscape and what's culturally competent. Um, and then, you know, understanding what's working on your campus now and, and what best practices can you implement. So once I've done that, you know, thought about HR, thought about what DEI work, DEIB work is being done on campus and obviously within the advancement shop, right? Who do I need buy-in? Is it the vice president? Is it the yeah. vice chancellor, right? Starting there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I would think about, you know, not doing this work in a silo, right? Looking at best practices like Penn State. I mean, that's, that, that is just incredible to hear about that effort, right? So what are other universities doing? Um, are there consultants or industry leaders that we can talk to? Right, there are many, too many to name for this conversation. Oh yeah. You know, so so just thinking about that and then looking at some models that are already out there for programs, right? Like I'm thinking about a couple of trainings um, that I've been to, including the Case MAI Institute, which is the Minority Advancement Institute. 
Um, I'm thinking about Amplify, which is out of you know District One. So really tapping resources that are already available and looking at um, can they help me in terms of framing a mentorship program in my shop. That 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 is really key. I mean, uh, we oftentimes we joke at Case, you know, K, K stands for copy and share everything, and it's truth. I mean, there's nothing earth shattering uh, in the world of uh, advancement management that somebody hasn't done typically operationally. So, Hey, if uh, you know, university acts has uh, advancement office has pioneered this. I, with rare instances, I'm yet to find a leader that will say, no, don't share. Almost uh, everybody is willing to share. I'll, I'll give you another plug in here for my friends down in Miami, uh, Florida International University. You know, we're, we're, we're you know, uh, I was down there visiting them and, you know, all of a sudden they have my email address. So they established the office of uh, that. Uh, I may butcher this, but it's a, essentially it's the office of DEIB within their foundation. And mm. they have an executive director there. And they established, they worked with campus to establish clear, measured outcomes. So say we want to hire 10 faculty to full tenured professors in these areas. Then our goal is to accomplish that by in one year. And this is how much we need to raise, you know, so those kind of things. And so what's beautiful about that is they shared that. And they said, you know, the point, the reason why we established this uh, excellence in diversity institute within our foundation is because we want this to be a model for the rest of advancement shops. So take this, relabel it, make it yours, because this is our gift to our field. And so, you know, back to the to to the subject at hand, they're mentoring other institutions, right? Yes. To say, hey. Yes. This, this is this is how we're doing this. And these are measures of accountability that at the end of the day, we'll look at, have we helped the institution address their DEIB plan? And through that, uh, are we helping to build the, you know, to address the issues, especially as they relate to the next generation of faculty, of professionals within the institution? you know, even within the advancement office, mm -hmm. things that we're doing and we're putting in place. And so I, you know, there there are places out there that are doing things that uh, may not register nationally, but to your point, you know, call somebody, they'll answer. Yes. They'll gladly have a conversation because together we can make things happen. And that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sticking to it. I'm sticking to it. So, well, there you have it. I'm Kim Naoni. Thanks for tuning in to Mentorship Matters. See you soon.